Are you ready for God's Word now? All right, wonderful. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to the book of 1 Peter? We are going to continue our series. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Arthur last week? Isn't that awesome? It's wonderful. Now I'm going to take you to where he left off. We go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I start reading from verse 13 onwards. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, lift out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him, you believe in God who raised you from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Wonderful. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray this morning that you will anoint your servant so that your word will become a life for all of us. Lord, I pray that you grant your servant a prophetic unction so that I may speak the words that are relevant to your people here this morning. And Lord, I ask that you will give us a word in season so that we may hear your heart. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. The book of 1 Peter, as we all know, prepares God's people for suffering. And Peter started by bringing the people back to the basics of our faith. And in our previous session, Pastor Arthur talked to us about the salvation that God has given to us. This salvation was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament, but it was never revealed in its fullness until Jesus came. And the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets at many times, and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Hallelujah. How many of you realize that it is a privilege for us to be living on this side of the cross? That because God used to speak to the ancient people through His prophets in bits and pieces, in various ways, in, in diverse manners, but now He has spoken to us through Jesus Christ, His Son. See, in the past, they heard it secondhand from the prophets, but today, we, God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Himself told us this in John 14, 7. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For now, from now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. What Jesus is saying is that once we see Jesus, we have seen the Father. Why? Because the Son is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of His being. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. 
What a privilege it is for all of us to be alive in the New Testament. But how many of you know privileges come with responsibility? Hello? You know, right? Privileges comes with responsibility. And this is the focus of the Apostle Peter in our passage today. Because in this passage, Peter begins to outline for us three key responsibilities as Christians. And this is the responsibility I want to pass to you. Okay, number one is this. Here are the three key responsibilities. Number one is this. We all need to develop a conviction inside that will lead to obedience. See, and in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, that's why Paul, uh, Peter begins like this. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, it means it's linked to the, the stuff before, right? In the light of this great salvation that we have received, in the light of this message of the cross, therefore, then what? With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. In the older translation, if you use the King James Version and all that, this phrase uh, begins like this. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. What is that? It's actually a word picture. The word picture that you get when you read this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, the word picture is that of a weightlifter who is about to carry a very heavy weight. Now, I'm sure you have all seen this in the Olympics and all that. Whenever you have a weightlifter about to lift a heavy weight, what do they do? They go there, they take the powder in their hands, and then they will do this posturing and all that. They go down, but just before they lift, what they will do is they will pull their belt and tighten it one more round. Why? It's so that they can concentrate their strength around the loin area. And then they will pick up the weight. Why are they doing? Why do they do that? It's because the seat of a man's strength is actually in his loin area. How many of you know that? This is like where the core muscles are. If you are weak here, you are weak. The, the, the seat of a man's physical strength is in the area of his loin. That's why if I punch you here, I guarantee you, you will double over, no matter how big you are. Okay, some got a lot of insulation, <laughs> cannot reach, you know, but you get my point. If I hit you here in the loin area, you will double over. Why? Because this is the seat of a man's strength. Now, in the same way, Peter put it this way, gird up the loins of your mind. Why do you say that? It's because if the loin is the seat of a man's physical strength, where is the seat of a man's inner strength? It is in his mind. So he said, gird up the loins of your mind. And what is the, how does one strengthen the mind? How do you strengthen the mind? It is by being alert, by being fully sober. How many of you know if you are drunk, you are no longer strong in your mind? Right? You need to be fully alert. You need to be fully sober. So what Peter is saying to us is this. Now that you had the privilege of having the revelation of Christ, now that you know Him, now that you have received Him, you must know what you believe. You've got to be convicted by what you know. Sometimes we know, but we are never convicted by what we know. Does that make sense? You know, but that doesn't mean you do it. Why? Because it's, it's, it's just a belief. It's not a conviction. Peter is challenging us. B, you must know what you believe. 
Be convicted by what you know. Be alert. Be sober. Be straight thinking. Don't get tossed around by the, every wind of teaching. Don't be, don't be taken up by all kinds of thinking. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul put it this way. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, but by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Don't be swayed by all that social media is pushing out there. Don't believe every cultural narrative that is being pushed out there. Don't be taken in by the philosophies and thinking of today's woke culture. Don't buy into the identity narrative, the freedom narrative, the critical race theory, the gender fluidity, etc. The progressive thinking and all of that. Don't be taken in by those things. But gird up the loins of your mind with the truth of God's word. Somebody ought to shout amen. That's a really good point to shout amen. Here's my point. Don't let culture define what is right and what is wrong. Let the Word of God define the truth for us. Whatever, however sexy it looks on social media, don't buy it. If there is one anchor we need as our mooring, it will be this, set your hope on Christ. Why? Because He is coming again. Watch out for this grace that is going to be revealed to us at His coming. And let, then let's live in the light of His return. I want you to know Jesus is coming back again. How many believe that? Then be convicted by it. Jesus is coming back again. We need to filter everything through His soon coming. If you filter everything through His soon coming, it will help you decide what is important and what is not. If He's coming back soon, then it will redefine our priorities for living, isn't it? What is important and what is not will be redefined. And if we really believe He's coming again, it will then lead to obedience. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, then Peter goes on to say this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He's talking about our past now. Don't be like before when you were in ignorance, but now you have received the revelation of Christ. Therefore, as obedient children now, don't be conformed to the evil desires anymore. Do you realize the day when we became a Christian, the day when you come to Christ, you change bosses. You are no longer under you are no longer a slave to sin and self and Satan. You have become a servant of the living God. You change bosses already. And the irony is that we have been set free. But you are not set free to do whatever you like. Because that will be being, that will be enslaved to your own selfish desires. But we are set free to be a servant of God. You are set free to obey God. You know, there are many in our society today that believes that our freedom is slowly being eroded. And therefore, we need to stand up and fight for it. So if something is mandated and I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because my choice is what matters. It's all about my choice. If I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I'm free. I'm a free man. I have freedom. I have the right to be free. I have the right to do, live the way I want. And 
then it's all about my choice. My choice is what matters. doesn't matter if the issue is vaccination or abortion. If you tell me what I can and cannot do, you are violating my freedom and I will not stand for it. You know how we develop that kind of thinking? Is when we are, we, it happens when we are pursuing a freedom apart from God. We are pursuing a freedom apart from God. You ask yourself, what actually is freedom? What actually is freedom? The world defines freedom as a right to think, to do, to believe as one wants, without hindrance. That's freedom. But if we just want to do what we want to do, we are not really free from our own selfish desires. How many of you agree? If you just want to do what I want to do, you're not really free. You are still enslaved by your own selfish desires. Galatians 5 verse 13, Paul put it this way. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, you know, the freedom narrative is actually rooted in Christianity. It's actually rooted in, in Christianity. You are called to be free. But, he goes on to say this, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, it is true that all men are born free. All men are born equal. We all have the same potential. But the gospel narrative tells us that yes, we are born free. Yes, we are born equal. But we are also born in sin. How many of you know that? Every one of us are born in sin. And because that's the case, there is no good thing in us. We deserve nothing. But Christ came, and that's the good news. Christ came, did everything so that man can be restored, spirit, soul, and body. And as children of the living God now, we are set free to obey Him. And it is for freedom it is a freedom to obey God, not only in good times, but also in times of suffering, like what is happening in the time of the Apostle Peter. And this is our first responsibility, brothers and sisters. We need to develop a conviction in our heart that will lead to obedience. Somebody say amen to that. We need that. Don't just know what you, what you, don't just know what you believe, but be convicted about it that will lead to obedience. That's number one. That's our responsibility. Here's number two. Cultivate a fear that leads to holiness. Here's the second thing. Cultivate a fear that leads to holiness. The Apostle Peter goes on to challenge the believers to walk in holiness now. So you look at 1 Peter 1 verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, the world despises holiness as an old school, prudish, tight, limiting. That's how we think about holiness. But what is holiness? The word holy um, is the Greek word hagios, which actually means sacred. It means separated, pure, morally blameless. I think the best way to understand holiness within a biblical context is to be distinctly different. Distinctly different so that when the world looks at you, they just know that you are different. 
you are distinctly different. But please understand, uh, to be holy is not to be weird. It is to be different, okay? You're not weird. You are different. And you cannot follow Jesus without being distinctly different. If you can walk into your office, mix with all your, your colleagues, you know, and you can talk like them, you know, feel like them, you, 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 you can do what they do and, and everything, then you are not distinctly different. Then where is the, where is the witness? You tell me. Holiness is about being distinctly different. Different in what way? Not so much just different on the outside, but different from within. It means to be clean, to be upright, to be pure inside. And in short, it is to be godly. What is godly? Simple way of understanding godliness is simply to be like God. <laughs> Simple, right? Godly. What is godly? It means to be like God. That's why we want to be holy. But why? It's because we want to be like our Father in heaven. Why do you want to be holy? It's so that I can be like my Father in heaven. So that when people look at you, they say, huh, you are so-and-so son, right? They look at Dave and they say, you are James's son, right? And because you have things in you that is like him. They look at Amos and say, you are Marcus's son, right? <laughs> why? Because they are like the Father. So when they look at you as a Christian, they know that, hey, you are related to Christ, right? <laughs> because you are like Christ. And that's why Peter put it this way, be holy because I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be like my father. It means to be like God. I, I like the way that Tom, Tony Raike put it. Uh, I love this, uh, what, what he wrote here. Listen to this. We see all the virtues of holiness perfectly aligned in Christ. He was always gentle, but never soft. He was bold, but never brash. He was pure, but never prudish. He was full of mercy, but not at the expense of justice. He was full of truth, but not at the expense of grace. If somewhere down the road you forgot the Ten Commandments, or you can't recall the fruit of the Spirit, or don't seem to remember any particular attributes of God, you can still remember what holiness is by simply remembering His name. If you would just think about Christ, you have got that. We focus on Christ and seek to imitate His model of holiness all by the power of the Holy Spirit flowing out of our union with Christ. How many like this? He really got it nailed down. He really got it nailed down. So how do we become holy? It's that union with Christ. And then by the power of the Spirit, it comes forth. And then they look at you and they say, this man is godly. He is like his Father in heaven. So, how do we actually become holy? Uh, if I can give you an answer, it will be this. It is through the fear of God. How do you actually come, walk into this holiness? It is through the fear of God. The only way for us to perfect holiness is to get the right kind of fear. And it's not the fear of man. It is the fear of God. 1 Peter 1.17, that's why Peter goes on to say this, Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, lift out your time as foreigners here in what? Reverent fear. How many of you know there is no fear in heaven, but on earth we need the fear of God? John Bavir put it this way, If you desire the, fear, the praise of man, you will fear man. 
If you fear man, you will serve him, for you will serve what you fear. Whatever you fear, you will serve. And as new covenant believers who have been justified by the grace of God through faith, we fear God. But the good news is we are no longer afraid of Him. We fear Him, but we're not afraid of Him. Why? Because we know He is a loving Father. See, and there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being afraid of God in terms of the terrors of judgment and all that is actually not for us or else we'll nullify the work of the cross. Because what happened when we were justified? What happened? It's 1 John 4, verse 17 and 18. Listen to this, don't miss this. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Do you know that on the day of judgment, we who are true believers in Christ, we have confidence. We don't go there with fear. We go there with confidence. We don't go there terrified. We have confidence. Why? Because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not perfect. It's not made perfect in love. You see, in the Old Testament, they all fear God out of punishment. They're afraid that God will punish them. That's the mentality of a slave. But in the New Testament, we fear God out of love. That's the mentality of a son. We fear God, but we are not afraid of Him as in dread and terror. It's not like that. We fear Him. We honour Him. We revere Him. But yet we feel drawn to Him because we know He's a good God. Are you with me? See, and it's different. I, I see an illustration of this concept in the crossing of the Red Sea. You know, when they, after they crossed the Red Sea and they saw the hand of God, what happened was in Exodus 14, verse 10, listen to this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified. Where, where, where is that terror coming from? It is because they know that the Egyptians could harm them. That's why they were terrified. But uh, then in verse 31, it goes on to say, but when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people what? Feared the Lord. They really fear Him. And, but they put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. So what am I saying? Is this. The people were afraid of Pharaoh because he could harm them. That's why they want to run away from him. But when they feared the Lord, but at the same time, they trust Him because they saw His awesome deeds performed on their behalf and they want to draw near to Him. Can you see the contrast? On one side, yeah, they're terrified, but they want to run away. The other, they fear God, but yet they draw near to Him. So it's because they saw the goodness of God. The fear of God actually drives us towards Him and not away from Him. And it is through the fear of God that you and I can perfect holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, right? Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, Paul says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 6 says. He says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is what draws us near to Him and helps us to avoid evil. We perfect holiness out of the fear of the Lord. 
You know, one of my favorite stories, uh, and I, I may have told you before, is uh, it was told to me, true story by a pastor friend of mine from, from Singapore. And one day we were having a meal together and he told me this story. He says, you know, I, I got to share with you this. I've got a church member that just went on a business trip to Europe. And then after he finished all his meetings throughout the day, he went back to his hotel. Uh, he was traveling alone, so he went back to his hotel, took a shower, and then he came out of his shower with just a towel wrapped around him. And then when he stepped out of the toilet, to his horror, he saw this woman that was half naked lying on his bed. And then he was shocked, you know. And then he turned to her and said, who are you? What are you doing here? And then the woman turned to him and said, oh, I am compliments of your client. So the client wanted to treat him to this thing, you know. And then he, he, he was shocked now. And then he recomposed himself after a while. And then he turned to this woman and this is what he said. He said, excuse me, I'm a Christian. Can you leave now? And then the woman's turn to be shocked. He turned to him and said, he asked him this question, I kid you not. The question he asked was, are all Singaporean men like you? <laughs> I wish I can stand up and say yes. <laughs> now I ask myself, what is it that will enable this brother to actually have the ability to walk away from a temptation like that? He was miles away from anybody. He would have done anything and nobody will ever find out. What enabled him to walk away from something like that? I'll tell you what it is. It's the fear of the Lord. It's not the fear of being found out. It's the fear of the Lord. And that's what perfect holiness in us, my friends. Really. You know, it was the fear of the Lord that led to holiness. And brothers and sisters, we have received such a marvelous revelation of who Christ is. We have received so great a salvation. How can we not develop this deep conviction that will lead us to obedience? How can we not cultivate a fear that will lead us to holiness? And I'll leave you one last thing. And it is this. We need to activate a faith in us that will lead to hope and love. What is the driving force behind a life of obedience and holiness? Peter goes on to tell us it is rooted in this, the redemption of Christ through the cross. Look at verse 18 and 19 now, the last two verses. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Brothers and sisters, we are a redeemed people right? Redeemed through the cross. And the word picture you get here is that of a slave that is being purchased and then set free. Somebody buy you and then set you free. That's the picture of redemption. But we are redeemed from what? We were told we are redeemed from a, a, a futile life, right? He says what? You are redeemed from the empty way of life, a futile life handed down to you from your ancestors, Right? In, in, that's what it says in verse 18. What are we redeemed from? We are redeemed from a futile life. And that word futile or empty in the Greek is matayaios, which actually means this, vain, devoid of force, useless. I am being redeemed from a useless, forceless, vain life, a life of no purpose. That gives a picture of something going round and round. It starts from no beginning, it goes towards no end, 
How many of you agree? Before we come to Christ, our life is a little bit like that. Every day we're just going around in circus. It starts at no beginning, it goes towards no end. It's like what the wise man said in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Brothers and sisters, we have been redeemed from this meaningless, futile, empty way of life. Aren't you happy with that? I'm set free from all that. And where, and where did this futility come from? It was from the tradition of our ancestors. What's that referring to? I think it's referring to the religious traditions handed down from our forefathers. And we are no longer under the religious rituals of our forefathers, but we are now being redeemed to a new life in Christ. Hallelujah. And you need to remember this. You have been redeemed not by perishable things like silver and gold, but you have been redeemed with a great price, the precious blood of Jesus. And my fellow brothers and sisters, I want you to know that's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are. That's how precious you are. Your value is not determined by your own valuation. It is not determined by the valuation of others. It's like, I have a house, and I think, in my opinion, my house is worth half a million dollars. The bank values it and says it's $450,000. And then the highest bidder I got to buy my house was $300,000. Now you tell me, how much is my house worth? It's not determined by what I think. It's not even determined by what the bank thinks. It's determined really by the person who's willing to pay. Am I right? And the, the best person I can get is 300000 That's what my house is worth, no matter what I think, no matter what the, the bank thinks. And our tendency is this, you know. We tend to either overrate ourselves or we tend to underrate ourselves. We vacillate between being arrogant and think that we are, we, are, we are so good, or self-depreciation and think that I'm no good. You know, I'm lousy, I'm, nobody loves me, I think I'll go eat some worms, you know, something like that. And you always think that you're like that. But the truth is this. The truth is this, friends. Your value is determined by how much someone who loves you is willing to pay for you. And Jesus Christ loves you so much, He paid for you with His own blood. That's how precious you are. That's how much you are worth. It doesn't matter what you have gone through in life. It doesn't matter if you are married or single, educated or illiterate, but you are precious in the sight of God simply because someone paid a huge price for you. And the best news of all is this, you know, you were not an afterthought. You are not an afterthought. You were part of God's redemption plan right from the beginning. Before you even existed, God already thought about you. He already paid the price. The blood that was slain from the foundation of the earth, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. 1 Peter 1, 20, 21, listen to this. He, referring to Jesus, said, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through you, you believe, through Him, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are now in God. My friends, even before you were created, you were already 
planned. It was already planned. That's why I love that song we used to sing. Before the world began, you alone is mine. Every tear you cry was precious in his eyes. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. Everything was done so you would come. Right? Come to the Father, though your gift is small. Broken hearts, broken lives, He will take them all. The power of His word, the power of His blood, everything was done so you would come. And this wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an afterthought. He had it in His mind right from the beginning. And that is why no Christian must live with hopelessness. No one should live with despair because we know the end from the beginning. I don't know about you, but we should be the most positive people on the face of this earth. Not because things always go well with us, because they don't. Stuff happens. Life is messy. We all know that. But we can be positive only because we serve a God who is for us and not against us. And that's why we can be a people of hope, a people of faith. But where does all this lead to? Verse 22 says it all. Now that you have, been purifi- you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, now love one another deeply from the heart. Brothers and sisters, this is the pinnacle of our salvation. If there is one word that can describe Jesus, if there's one word that can describe what Christ's likeness looks like, it will be love. When faith is fully mature, it will manifest itself as love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 therefore says, now these three things will remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. When our faith is fully mature, we will see a man who knows how to love God and know how to love people. That's what it is. Let me end with this, my friends. Before God created the earth, he already knew that all of us would need a saviour. He saw the end from the beginning. Before he even created you, he already knew you need a saviour. And then you know what? He provided himself. He gave himself as your saviour. How can you not be grateful? How can you not let that drive your life? How can we know that, understand that, and then we live life the way we want? How can that not direct the way you think, the way you feel, the way decisions you make? How can it not? What an amazing love this is. Yeah? One of my favorite songs, right? Amazing love, how can it be? that you, my king, would die for me. I cannot sing this song without crying, you know, every time. Because it's just that thought, you know, this great king of the universe would actually die for me. Amazing love, how great, uh, how, how can it be? Really, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? I dare not sing, I just read. Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy now to honour you. 
in all I do, I honor you. And with a God like this, you know, how can we not live for Him? With a God like this, how can we not, you know, do what He tells us to do? How can we not develop a conviction within our hearts that is going to lead to obedience? How can we not cultivate a fear within us, a reverence within us, you know, that's going to lead to holiness and activate that fear, that faith within us that's going to lead to hope and love? I will. I hope you will too. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, this morning, we pray that your word will minister to our innermost being. Lord, open our eyes once again to see the beauty of your gospel of what you've done for us. Thank you that right from the foundations of the earth, the Lamb was slain for us. That before this world even began, you already have us in your mind. And God, help us this morning to live our life with a conviction that can lead to obedience. God, teach us how to cultivate within us, Lord, this deep fear of you that will lead to holiness and help us to activate a faith that will lead to love. And we give you all the glory and all the praise for this. Would you send us away this morning falling in love with Jesus all over again? And God, let this love that you have for us and the love we have for you determine the priorities of our life, determine the way that we live. And for all this, we give you glory and praise. Now, may the love of the Father the peace of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit go with us. Amen and amen.